knows better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. Last week in Genesis chapter 42, we see that Joseph's brothers and father came back on the scene. Uh, They haven't seen them for a while since chapter 37 when Joseph was sold as a slave. Uh, It's been focused on him. And all of a sudden, we see the brothers, they're there, the famine hits Canaan. And so Jacob sends uh, the 10 oldest sons. He doesn't send Benjamin to go and buy grain. And as they get to Egypt, they stand before Joseph, but they don't know it's Joseph. They bow down before him. They don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. And he chooses not to reveal himself to them, but instead he chooses to test them to see if they've really changed from what they were 20 years before when they sold him into slavery. Uh, He calls them spies and they deny it and they say, no, no, we're all brothers and, you know, we're from Canaan and we have a father and we have another brother and then we have a brother who is no more as well. Uh, And Joseph basically says, okay, prove it. Uh, I'm going to keep one of you, Simeon, in prison. The other of you can go back to your land with the grain and you can come bring your brother back to me to prove that you're not spies and that you're not lying. Uh, And so Joseph puts Simeon in prison. The other brothers go home with the grain. But Joseph also tells the servant, put the money that they paid for the grain back in their sacks. Uh, And so when they get home, they open their sacks, not only to see all the grain, but also all the money. And they start freaking out. Uh, And we noted in that whole chapter the guilt that they had right when, you know, they're called spies. They say this is because of what we did to Joseph 20 years earlier. And we noted that because they hadn't dealt with their sin properly, this guilt is still there and they still have these issues. And now when they get home and they think, well, we got won the lottery, we got all this money. No, they think, man, this is so horrible. We have the money that we were supposed to give and then what's going to happen? And so they're freaking out and they tell their dad, probably for the first time, the truth. And he's upset with them. They tell him what happened. They tell him that Simeon's in prison. They tell him, we got to bring Benjamin back uh, in order to get grain again, in order to get Simeon out. Uh, And so Joseph's not happy. He says, you have bereaved me. Uh, Joseph's no more. Simeon's no more. And you want to take Benjamin. All these things are against me. And so Jacob's now just, you know, totally beside himself. And Reuben, he tries. He's the oldest. He's the one who actually tried to protect Joseph 20 years earlier. He's trying to convince his dad to let Benjamin go. And he basically says, hey, you can kill my two sons if I don't bring Benjamin back. Uh, Like, that's great motivation. Kill your grandkids. But, you know, that's what he shares. And, you know, but still Jacob will not allow Benjamin to go. And that's how we uh, end the chapter with him saying, if something were to happen to Benjamin, it would ultimately kill me. And so now they have this dilemma. The only way they can get more grain, the only way they can get their brother out of prison is for Benjamin to join them and go back to Egypt because Joseph said, you're not going to see my face again. 
You're not going to get any grain again. Your brother's going to stay in a prison until you prove to me you're not spies by bringing Benjamin back. And so now we come to chapter 43, and we're only going to look at the first 14 verses tonight because they really focused on Jacob. This is kind of the final thing that we're really going to see of Jacob um, besides something at the very end of his life. But, you know, sadly, you know, you thought, you know what, Jacob wrestled with the Lord. There's been this change in his life. And we're going to find out that actually there hasn't been much of a change, unfortunately, in the life of Jacob. And he has a decision to make. He's had many decisions in his life. He's the head of this home. And here's the decision. Should I allow my youngest son that I favor over the rest go to Egypt so that my family can get more grain in this famine and so that my other son... Simeon, who's in prison right now, can come back. That's the decision. That's the problem that he's faced with. And we're going to see that he does not deal with this problem very well. There's seven ungodly ways in these verses that Jacob is going to approach it and deal with this problem of whether or not to allow Benjamin to go to Egypt. And as we go through these seven things, I think you're going to start noting some of these things you're guilty of, some of these things I'm guilty of. These are going to be things that you look at and go, yeah, I can see that I do that when I face problems. And these are things that we don't want to follow. These are examples that are not good for us. And so as we look at each one of these things, I'm going to highlight the ungodliness that Jacob demonstrates for us. But then right after it, you know, highlight what would be the godly response, which is ultimately the opposite of what Jacob does. And so we're going to see tonight seven ways we shouldn't deal with problems and also seven ways that we should. And so let's start with the first ungodly way that Jacob deals with problems. Here in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 43, it says this, Now the famine was severe in the land, and it came to pass when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt, that their father said to them, Go back, buy us a little food. So Jacob faced this problem of Benjamin needing to go to Egypt, and it was the end of chapter 42, and he decides, I'm not going to do it. But now we have a good amount of time that's transpired. There was 10 guys, and they had all this grain packed in each of their sacks. They brought it back for the family here, and they've eaten it all. So months have transpired mostly, and we don't know how many, but probably many that have gone by where Jacob hasn't done anything. He's been put off dealing with this Benjamin problem, delaying dealing with the problem of whether or not I'm going to make a decision to send Benjamin to Egypt. Now, when Jacob was first uh, faced with this problem, his family had plenty of grain. They could survive uh, if he sent his sons to Egypt right away. There wouldn't have been an issue. Hey, we got plenty of grain left for us. You guys go to Egypt, get some more, and we'll all be good. Now nobody has any grain. Now they're at a place where, okay, we got a big problem. We don't have any food. Uh, and so this is the, the scenario that Jacob finds himself in, but really he only finds himself in it because he's delayed. He's put off the problem, and notice what's happened to him. It's only gotten worse. The problem hasn't gotten better as he's ignored it, as he's delayed it, as he's pushed it away. It hasn't gone away. It's just gotten worse. Now it was just... I don't know if I want to send Benjamin. What if something happens to Benjamin? Oh, well, now it's even worse. We're all going to starve to death. Uh, and so delaying this has just made the problem just get even worse. And that's the first ungodly way that I want to note here that Jacob deals with the problem. He puts off dealing with this problem, which only makes the problem 
worse. You know, I know in my own life, I'm sure many of you as well, you, you recognize this has been a common response in your own life to problems. Instead of dealing with them right away when you recognize them, when you see them, there's a tendency that we often have just to kind of delay, to put it off, to hope that maybe it'll go away, to hope that maybe it won't be so big, to hope that maybe something's going to change. And for the most part, that's usually never the case. We delay, it just gets worse. We put it off, it just gets harder. It just gets bigger. And so it's just kind of this foolish thought that we have of, oh, I just don't feel like dealing with it right now. Well, we have a choice. We can deal with it now where it is, or we can deal with it in the future when it's bigger. Uh, and so which one do we want to choose? And that's kind of the reality. And sometimes we, we convince ourselves to thinking it's going to go away, but it's not. They don't just disappear. They're still there. And the longer we wait, so often the worse that they get. So the ungodly way to deal with our problem is to put it off. The godly way to deal with the problem is to deal with it right away before they get worse. You know, when you're in a relationship, I'm sure many of us have seen this in marriage or in a relationship, there's a conflict. And we think, you know what? I'm just not going to deal with it. I'm just going to ignore it. I'm just going to put it off and it's going to just fix itself. And that's never the case. What sometimes even starts off as some small argument is put off, is neglected, is delayed. Then it becomes this huge thing that now we have to deal with. And what we're dealing with now is so much worse than what we would have dealt with if we would have just dealt with it right away. So that's the first thing that we see here with Jacob's poor response to this problem. The second ungodly way that Jacob deals with this problem of sending Benjamin to Egypt is in verses 3-5. through five. It says this, And it came to pass when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt that their father said to them, Go back, buy us a little food. But Judah spoke to him, saying, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. So first, Jacob is, is putting off, he's delaying, dealing with this problem. And now he really doesn't really want to accept the problem for what it really is. Notice in verse 2, Jacob tells his nine oldest, because Simeon's in prison and he doesn't want to let Benjamin, he says, go back to Egypt and buy a little food. And that just seems so odd. It's like, well, wait a second. You just had 10 sons bring back full you know, sacks of food and we already ate it all. That wasn't enough. The famine's still here. Why would you tell nine now just to go get a little bit? You know, it just seems that, you know, you would say, hey, go get as much as you possibly can and bring it back because we don't want to starve to death. We don't want to die. And so there doesn't seem to make any sense that he would say a little unless there's something within Jacob that thinks, you know what? Maybe if you only ask for a little, he won't require Benjamin. Maybe if you go back and just say, oh, we need just a little bit of grain, then, then Benjamin won't have to go with you and I won't have to allow that to take place. Whatever Jacob was thinking, the reality is he wasn't accepting the problem for what it was. 
Jacob is minimizing this issue. He's minimizing the problem. And that is something that often goes hand in hand with putting off a problem. You see, one of the reasons that we can justify putting off a problem is because we minimize it. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. You know, we can put it off. It's not a big problem. It's not going to cause any issues. And, and in our own mind, we like to take something and just kind of minimize it, make it seem like it's not that big, not that problematic. Let's put it off and deal with it another day. And too often, that's not the case at all. Well, Judah, he understands how, or sorry, uh, yeah, understands how severe the problem is. And so he wants his dad to realize, wait a second, maybe you, you don't quite get the reality of the situation. So he says, the man solemnly warned us, saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, hey, we'll go down, we'll go get some food. But if you're not going to send him, then we're not going to go. Why? Because he clearly said, we're not going to see his face unless Benjamin goes. And so Judah reminds Jacob, you know, the man in charge, he's not going to sell us any grain. It's going to be a wasted trip. We're going to travel all the way there and we're going to get nothing from it. And we're all going to die of starvation because we're not getting any grain. There's only one way we're getting grain from Egypt. And that is if you allow Benjamin to join us. Judah's basically saying, dad, you don't seem to understand the problem here. We can't go buy a little grain for the family without Benjamin. We can't do what you're asking us to do because the problem is we have to have him. It's part of the package. That's the only way this is going to happen. So the second ungodly way that Jacob deals with this problem is he minimizes the problem to justify not dealing with it. You know, this is another way that we're often guilty of dealing with our problems. We we don't want to deal with it. We want to justify not dealing with it. So, hey, let's just minimize it. Let's just think that it's not that big of a deal. Let's just convince ourselves that it's not a big problem. And then we don't have to take care of it. We don't have to address it. And you know what? Just because you try and convince yourself the problem isn't big, doesn't make it true. Doesn't make it go away. Doesn't make it shrink down. The reality is, as we looked at the first point, you just ignore it. And oftentimes, actually, it just gets bigger and more problematic. So the ungodly way to deal with our problem is to minimize it. But the godly way to deal with it is to recognize a problem for what it is and deal with it right away. When it comes to problems, it's always best just to be honest with ourselves, understand what it is, recognize it for what it is, and deal with it quickly. The third and fourth ungodly way that Jacob deals with the problem of sending Benjamin to Egypt is in verses 6 and 7. And Israel said, Why do you deal so wrongfully with me as to tell me the man whether you had still another brother? But they said, The man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family, saying, Is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And we told him according to these words, Could we possibly have known that he would say, Bring your brother down? Notice here, Jacob asks his son, it's a stupid question. It's just a really foolish question here. He says, why did you deal so wrongfully with me? You're thinking, man, what did they do? I mean, it must have been so bad that you would tell that man that you had another brother. How dare you tell that man that you had another brother? What's wrong with you guys? And their response is like, what are you talking about? He just asked us plainly, do you have a father that's still alive? And we said, yes, we do. And he said, do you have another brother? And we said, 
Yes, we do. How could we know that he would say, all right, turn around and bring that brother here or I'm not going to give you grain anymore. I mean, come on. Why are you upset saying we've wronged you for being honest about the fact that you are still alive and we do have a brother? You know, Jacob's question is not only foolish, but really it's designed to pass the blame for this problem onto his sons. He's basically saying, I wouldn't have this problem right now if you guys didn't tell that man about Benjamin. It's your fault. Why did you do that? Why did you bring this problem onto me? Why couldn't you have just not said that and then this problem wouldn't exist? The third ungodly way that Jacob deals with this problem is he blames others for the problem even though it is unwarranted. Instead of taking responsibility as the head of the home, instead of dealing with and addressing this problem, he's just sitting there blaming his sons and he's throwing out an accusation that's just unwarranted and foolish. Once again, sadly, this is a way that many of us respond to our problems. Instead of dealing with them, instead of addressing them, instead of focusing on them and trying to handle them in a good, godly way, we just want to point fingers at, hey, it's your fault that this happened. No, you did this. And, And wow, how could you? And so often, It's unwarranted. So often we're throwing out accusations that don't have any truth to them, that are just so silly and foolish. And even if there was truth, that it was the fault of these sons, what good is it going to do? Okay, yeah, it's our fault. We still have to deal with this. You know, so pointing the finger and saying, hey, it's you who did this. Now it's all, you know, falling apart. Why did you guys do this to me? This was not getting them anywhere. It wasn't helping deal with the problem at all. And we need to recognize that because we're guilty of that. Oh, it just makes me feel so good that I can point the board. Yeah, but how has that helped it with the problem? How has that solved it? How has it got it any better? It just actually made things worse because now I have a problem with you. Uh, and so that's the ungodly way to deal with it. The godly way to deal with our problem is to focus on dealing with the problem without blaming others. I want you to notice something here about Jacob. Notice what he's ultimately blaming his sons for. He's blaming them for telling the truth. In that accusation, how dare you tell the man that you had another brother? He's saying, how dare you tell this man the truth that you have another brother? Because it was a very truthful statement that they made. Ultimately, I think he's wanting to know, why didn't you lie to him? But remember the man that we're talking about here. Jacob the deceiver, Jacob the man who thinks, I can get out of all my problems if I just lie. So he's probably wondering, man, why didn't you just lie to him? Why did you have to be honest with him? We wouldn't be in this pickle. We wouldn't be in this mess if you just would have lied. You know, Jacob lied to his dad to get his birthright and blessing. He lied to Laban in order to get back to the promised land. He lied to Esau to protect himself from Esau's wrath. He's a man who's lied many times in order to try to deal with problems. And now he wonders why his sons haven't lied to deal with this problem to protect him. The fourth ungodly way that Jacob deals with this problem is he thinks lying will keep you from problems. He should be one to know that's not true. He's done it enough and seen enough consequences. Every single time he's lied, it's brought problems. Oh, I lied to my dad and woo, I got the blessing. Yeah, and then your brother went to kill you. 
Oh, you know, I've lied to Laban and I escape. Yeah, then he tries to hunt you down and kill you. Every time that he's lied, it's brought worse problems to his life. And so you would think, hey, lying isn't the way to deal with problems. Lying's the way to make them worse. But he's still upset. He's still wondering, why haven't you guys done this? It's just faulty thinking to think that actually lying's going to help instead of create more problems than you had to begin with. The godly way to deal with our problems is to be honest and truthful. You know, we struggle with that as parents. I know as a kid, I struggled with being honest and truthful with my parents when I did something wrong. Why? Because I don't want to get in trouble. You know, they say honesty is the best policy, but you know, biblically it is. It's much better just to get it out there, much better to be honest, much better to be truthful and just deal with the problem in honesty instead of trying to lie because now you just have a whole new problem. A whole nother issue that you have to deal with. And then you're usually lying about that lie so you don't get caught in that one. And just this magnitude of problems start to arise and just makes the matter so much worse. The fifth ungodly way that Jacob deals with this problem is in verses 8 through 10. Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the lad with me and we will rise and go and we may live and not die. Both we and you and our little ones. I myself will be surety for him, from my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. For if we had not lingered, surely by now we would have returned this second time. I want you to notice the contrast between the way in which Judah speaks of the problem and the solution that he sees versus the way in which Jacob is dealing with this problem. Jacob's response and everything that we've seen from the very first time he's encountered this problem to now has been selfish. It's been all about me, all about him, all about how this is affecting him, how this is influencing him. Even the thought of losing Benjamin is not really for Benjamin's sake, it's for his own. Oh, I can't send Benjamin because if he something happens to me, it'll kill me. It's not so much, well, I don't want something to happen to Benjamin as much as how it's going to influence me if something happens to Benjamin. He's definitely more concerned about himself than Simeon. Simeon's rotten in a prison in Egypt. He doesn't even care. I'm not sending anybody to get him. Tough. That's where he's spending the rest of his life. I mean, it's very selfish. He's more concerned about himself than the family that just ran out of food. We don't have any more grain. You would think, okay, we're going to have to do this because the family, all of us, me, my sons, my grandchildren, my daughter-in-laws, my daughters, we're all going to die. But he's not concerned about those things. He's just focused on himself. And when he rebukes his son about telling the truth, why did you deal so wrongfully with me? It's all about me and how this is influencing and affecting me. Now contrast that with what Judah just said. Send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. Judah's bringing back the reality of, hey, it's not just you here, Dad. You're not the only one that's being affected by this. All of us and the little ones, all your grandkids, we're all going to die of starvation unless you are willing to allow Benjamin to leave. Last time Judah spoke, he was helping his dad see the reality of the problem. We can't go without Benjamin because the guy's not going to see us if we don't. And now he's trying to help dad see how selfish he's being. This isn't just about you. If you don't allow Benjamin to come with us, you, 
and me and your sons and your grandchildren and everybody here, we're all going to starve. And then he says something to help Jacob see the consequences of his selfishness. For if we had not lingered, surely by now we would have returned the second time. Dad, if you would have let us go when we first asked you, we would have been to Egypt and back. We all would have had food. We wouldn't be in this predicament. We're in this situation now because you haven't been willing to lead this family. You haven't been willing to deal with this problem. You haven't been willing to allow your son, Benjamin, to join us and go back to Egypt to get grain. The fifth ungodly way that Jacob deals with this problem is he looks out for himself. I wish I could say, as you look through the life of Jacob, wow, there's this big transition and change, and now his name is Israel, and we never see him go back to Jacob again. But sadly, that's not the case. Sadly, here again, the motto of his life before he wrestled with the Lord could have been, I'm first. And sadly, he's first now again. There's so many instances starting from, I want the birthright. I want the blessing. I want all this stuff. It's all been about him. And even as he's going to uh, worry about who's going to come as in the army that's coming from his brother, notice everybody is put in different levels of who he considers most valuable to least valuable. And the most valuable are the ones at the back. And guess who's farthest back? Him. You know, it's always been about he is the one that he's concerned with most. As long as I can escape the problem, I don't really care how it affects everyone else. Well, you know what? This used to be Judah's approach as well. 20 years ago, when Judah had a problem, the problem that his dad didn't love him as much as he loved his brother Joseph. All those brothers had that problem. I'm sure it was very difficult to have such favoritism shown, especially to your younger brother. And so he has this problem, and he decides to deal with it selfishly. It's Judah, if you remember, back in chapter 37 that comes up with the idea of, hey, you know what? Let's get something out of this. Let's sell our brother as a slave. Let's make some money off of this. Why should we just kill him and get nothing? Why don't we sell him and get something? And I don't care what it does to Joseph. I don't care how it influences him or impacts him. I just care about me. I want to get some money out of this. And so Judah was the one who did that. That was the way in which he dealt with this problem 20 years ago, very selfishly. But you know what? Now he responds differently. Notice what he asks his dad. Reuben did this at the end of last chapter. He says, hey, you know what? Let me take the boy. And if I don't bring him back, you can kill my two sons. Which, you know, hey, granted, that's he's trying to be like, hey, I'm taking responsibility. You can kill my sons if I don't bring your son back. Judah now goes a step further. You know what? I'll take responsibility, and if something happens to Benjamin, then it, let it be on me forever. Let me bear the penalty forever. Let it be on me, not my sons, on me. I'll take the consequences for anything that might happen to Benjamin. Judah now is putting his life on the line for Benjamin in this problem. Judah, the man who used to be selfish in dealing with the problem, is now being selfless. And he's a great example of how we should respond to our problems. The godly way to deal with our problem is to look out for others first. 
And this goes against our selfish nature. This goes against what's kind of within us. Our first tendency is always like, how do I protect myself? How do I deal with this myself? How do I help myself? You know, it's always about me first and not, how is everybody else being impacted by this problem? It's just kind of, how am I being impacted and how can I deal with this so that I'm no longer impacted? You know what? Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Don't just look out for you. Don't just look out for number one. It should be, hey, when there's a problem, how are other people being impacted? How are they being influenced? And how can I make decisions? And how can I conduct myself in a way that benefits them, not just me. Selfishness does not help our problems. It just makes them worse. When we face a problem, especially in a role like Jacob, where he's the head of the home, you have to realize your decisions have an impact on everybody else. And if you're just selfish and it's just about, hey, as long as I come out of this good, I don't care how everyone else gets influenced or impacted. That's just not the godly way. And it's also one that's just going to bring more problems. Because now you're placing problems in your family and those that you love. The sixth ungodly way that Jacob deals with this problem here is in verses 11 and 12. And their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry down a present for the man, a little balm, a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio, nuts and almonds. Take double money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. After all that his brothers, son, sorry, have said in this whole conversation and all that's going on, I think he's finally woken up to the reality that I have to send Benjamin to Egypt. Because if I don't, Benjamin's going to die anyway. And so am I, and so is everybody else. We're all going to starve to death. So finally that reality has sunk in, and he's like, okay, fine. If you got to go, then go. But notice Jacob wants to help his problem going away by sweetening the pot. All right, if you're going to go, make sure you take you know some of the choice nuts and some of the things that we still have left, even with this famine having hit. And then he says, take double the money including the money that you had given back. So bring the money that you're already supposed to give and the money that it costs for the grain and double it. Bring lots of money. You know, the sixth ungodly thing that Jacob does here is he looks to money to get him out of a problem. Once again, we see this is something that we often do. I'll just look to my money, my resources, my checkbook, my bank account, what I have, and and I'll look to that to kind of be the answer to the problem. Hey, if we just bring enough money, I'm sure this man is going to deal with you graciously. He's going to let Simeon out of prison. He's not going to deal harshly with Benjamin. He's going to give you the grain, and you're all going to get back here. And so let's just put our faith in this money, and we'll double it, and it's going to be good for us, and everything's going to work out. Here's Jacob's plan. Surely this is what's going to enable the problem to go away. Just add money to it, and man, all problems go away. 
And we see that in movies. We see that in our culture. You know, they think, well, if, if I just had more money, uh, I could deal with this. If I just had more resources, then I wouldn't have this problem. And we just kind of start depending on and trusting in these things. But you know, one of the big reasons why that's an issue is because it gets us focused on the wrong thing. All of a sudden, we're starting to look to our bank account. We're starting to look to money which keeps us from looking to what we should be looking to when we face a problem, and that's the Lord. And so if you have something else that you're depending on, you have something else that you're looking to, guess what? You're not going to be looking to what you should be looking to. Here's the Lord. He's the one that I need in this situation. He's the one who can get me out of the problem, but I'm looking here. I'm looking at the money. I think that's what's going to help me. If we just give this man enough of this, everything's going to be good. Instead of Jacob saying, you know what? The Lord has done all these things in my life. He's protected me so many times. I trusted he'll do it now. I trust my son with him. I'm depending on the Lord to bring back Benjamin. I'm depending on the Lord to get out Simeon. I'm depending on the Lord to provide the grain. I'm not depending on the double portion of money and the pistachio nuts and the things that I'm sending. But sadly, that's not where Jacob is right now. The godly way to deal with our problem is to look to God to get us out of our problems. God's the only one who has all that we need. He's the one that we need to look to, not money or or anything else that we think might solve our problem. The seventh and final thing that Jacob does in dealing with this problem is in verses 13 and 14. Take your brother also and arise, go back to the man, and may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your other brother and Benjamin If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So Jacob is finally willing to send Benjamin. And notice the final thing he does before sending Benjamin and his sons on this journey to Egypt. He asks God to give them mercy before the man, that they may release Simeon, that they may make sure that Benjamin comes back safely. Lord, give them mercy so it all works out well. That's a great thing. A great thing to pray, a great thing to ask the Lord, a great thing to desire. Lord, we need your mercy in the midst of this problem. This is a good thing that we see here in Jacob's life, but the only problem is where we see it. We see it at the end when everything else has not worked. He's tried all this other stuff, and now the, the final the final result, after my selfishness hasn't worked, after delay hasn't worked, after minimizing hasn't worked, after passing blame hasn't worked, now that it comes to, I have no other choice, we're all going to die, I'm going to have to send my son. All right, Lord, will you give us mercy? At the end, when everything else has been tried, when all else has failed, now I come to the Lord. Now I ask the Lord to help. The seventh ungodly way that Jacob deals with this problem is he waits until all else fails before trusting God. This is unfortunately something far too common that we see in our own lives. I know I can look at many times in my life where I have dealt with problems just like this. I'm trying in my own strength here. I'm relying on this thing there. I'm depending on money over here. I'm blaming that person in this situation. I'm delaying it. And all these things aren't working. The problem's just getting worse. I've tried everything that I can think of. All my strength has been exhausted. I don't know where to go or what to do. I'm just left with nothing. 
Well, you know what? Maybe I'll finally come to the Lord and cry out to Him. Maybe I'll finally pray. Maybe I'll finally depend on the Lord since nothing else has worked. You know, this is such backward thinking. God's the one that we should come to first. I mean, who is more capable of getting you through your problem? You or God? You or uh, God or, or, or money? God or, or someone else? God or, or whatever you want to put in that, you know, I depend on this person. I mean, the reality is ourselves, others, our resources, our whatever it is, no one is more capable than God of helping. And I just think how foolish of us that we actually wait. Why isn't he the first one we run to? Why isn't he the first one we cry out to? Why isn't he the first one they say, all right, Lord, here's a problem, and you're the one that I need to come to because you are the one with all the power, all the wisdom, all the strength, everything that I need, the creator of everything. I'm coming to you to deal with this. But sadly, in my own life, I see the stupidity of like, no, I'm going to try on my own first. Oh, and then I'm going to depend on this person, and then, and then I'm going to depend on my money, and then I'm going to depend on this, and oh, none of it's working. All right, Lord, I'll give you a chance now. It's like, what a waste. All that time of my own self-dependence and reliance on others and other things has just made the problem worse, has just caused me all sorts of anxiety and issues when I could have just right away, first and foremost, Lord, I come to you. I trust you. I leave it with you. I don't need to have to worry about this. I don't need to have to stress about this. I don't need to have to try in my own strength to overcome this. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to ask you to give me the mercy, to give me the strength, to give me whatever it is that I need to overcome this issue. But so often, we just wait. All right, Lord, you're my last option. And even at the last option, he's still gracious. Even as the last option, he's not, you know what? You waited way too long. I'm not helping you. You should have come to me first. You didn't. So now you can, you made your bed. You can sleep in a type of mindset. God's still merciful and he comes through. And as he comes through, I think he's just clearly saying, you know what? Next time, why don't you come to me first? Save yourself all this trouble because see how I came through? See how I dealt with this? See how I brought you through to this problem? If you would have just come to me at the beginning, I could have done this then. But you waited and you tried and you did this and that. And how did that work out for you? The godly way to deal with our problem is to trust God right away with our problem. When you trust God right away, it spares you from so much. Spares you of dealing with all the the stress, all the failure, all the issues that come. If you just say, Lord, right away, I give this to you. I trust you with it. I rely upon you. And I can save myself so much heartache that I would have if I didn't. Jacob still has a lot to learn about trusting the Lord with his problems. God's worked in him. There's been some change in his life for sure. He's now Israel, but sadly, even in this chapter, he's referred to as Jacob. Why is he acting like it? And it's unfortunate that you know he keeps going back. But you know what? Just like us, we're saved. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We have all these wonderful blessings from the Lord, but yet so often we act like the old man. We've been made new creations, but yet sometimes we don't live like it. Sometimes we go and we start 
acting like what we used to be. We start depending on the lies and ourselves and money and, and all these things that Jacob used to trust in. And he got to that place where, okay, Lord, I can trust you. Oh, but now another problem comes. Maybe I'm going to start trusting in what I used to trust in. And we struggle with that. And so there's part of me that's encouraged by the fact that Jacob doesn't just all of a sudden became this super Christian who does everything right because we aren't that way either. But there's this sad reality that we can relate to where we kind of go back and rely upon and trust in things that we shouldn't. We don't deal with the problems of life the way that we should. And so hopefully these seven ungodly responses are are warnings, are challenges, are reminders of this shouldn't be the thing that, you know, characterizes us. This shouldn't be the way in which we deal with problems. And if it is, we shouldn't be content with that. Well, you know, that describes me. Well, then we need to change. The godly way that we've looked here in these seven things, that should be what we want our response to be like. That should be how we want the characteristics of our life to be displayed in these issues that we face with the problems that come against us. And so hopefully, not only is this a warning, but an encouragement. How we should respond, how we should deal with these things. Um, And I'm encouraged even seeing a guy like Judah, you know, the one who actually sells his brother, comes up with the idea, and now is willing to sacrifice himself for another brother. Which I'm sure is favored. We can see it. I'm not sending Benjamin. Simeon can rot in prison for the rest of his life. Why? I like Benjamin better. He's favored. Judah was willing to ultimately send the favored one to slavery. Now he's willing to lay his life down for the favored one. There's a change. Reuben, there's a change. There's this guilt. There's this recognition of sin. There's a a move of God. It's been 20 years granted, but the Lord's been working. In the next chapter, we're going to see even works more and brings restoration and brings repentance and brings healing. But yet, sadly, through this all, the one guy who doesn't change much. You read Hebrews, the faith chapter. You have all these lists, mainly patriarchs, Old Testament saints. Abraham has a lot of wonderful things said about him, about his faith. And then Isaac. And then you come to Jacob. And it only mentions one thing that he does at the end of his life, right before he dies. That's the only faith that that is recorded in Hebrews about him. Why? Because look at his life. It's a faithless life. It's a sad reality. He rarely trusts the Lord. And at the very end, right before he's going to die, he's going to do something that's a step of faith. And it's a good thing. And the Bible notes it. But sadly, there's not much that you're really able to look back through his life and say, man, here. Yeah, Abraham had a lot of trust issues, a lot of faithless times. But yet he also grew and became a man of great faith, willing to sacrifice his son. Sadly, Jacob never gets to that place. So we don't want to end up like that, where it's like, oh, we maybe do one good thing right before we die. Let's see the Lord change us now so that we deal with these problems the way that he desires us to. Any thoughts on these verses?